Welcome to Riverbend Church's podcast, and thanks for listening. Riverbend is a church in Hernando, Mississippi, that is focused on our calling to restore the community around us. For more information, visit rbhernando.church. We hope you enjoy the message. I remember being a, uh, a student. I don't know if I was in the fourth grade or the fifth grade, but it was um, one of those two. And I remember doing something to uh, one of my fellow students, and my mom found out about it. I don't understand how things that happen at school make it home before I get there, but it did. And she was waiting for me at the bus stop, and she stated, we have to go here. And um, here was to that other student's house, and I was told that I had to tell them that I was sorry for what I did. Fast forward a few years, and I came across a comic strip called Calvin and Hobbes. Great theologians, not really, but it's a funny comic book, uh, funny comic strip. And, and in that comic strip, the, uh, the one that I was reading that particular day, he just mouthed off at the teacher. And the teacher said, sit down. And he said, I just want to let you know. On the outside, I am sitting down, but on the inside, I am defiantly standing up. And that's how I was that day, standing in front of my friend, fellow student. I said I was sorry, but I didn't mean it at all. Saying you're sorry as a child is one thing. Saying you are sorry, asking forgiveness, seeking repentance as an adult, I believe is harder. I don't know if you have ever done this. As I was going through it this week and and just thinking about this, a couple of things jumped out, and I I got to hurry through my introduction to get to the meat. But uh, I remember the first neighbors that kind of lived across the street from us where we live now, they've moved uh, a number of years ago, they moved away. And I I was talking with the, the gentleman of the house, and I was inviting him to church, we were talking about Jesus, and he said, I hate preachers who stand up on stage and tell me their faults. I was like, don't come to church where I preach. But I have lashed out at my kids before, and I've had to go to them and say, hey, um, you know, that that attitude that I had, that volume that I reached, the veins that were popping out of my forehead um, at you for something that was like like that level right there, and I was like this level right here, that's wrong. And that's, that's on one level as an adult, having to go ask forgiveness. I remember in seminary that uh, there were a group of friends, and we, when we went out to eat, it was uh, around the table, and we were carrying on and carrying on, and we, we stayed a little too long. The place was closing down, and everybody did rock, paper, scissors, who was going to share with the server, and, and I won, and I'm a very competitive person. I was glad to win, and I said, hey, I'll do it. And afterwards, we came back for a time of prayer at the uh, dorm, and I had to tell the guys, hey, yeah, I never got to that. Just how hard and how deflated it was to say those words, hey, I'm sorry, I 
I said I was going to do it, I didn't do it. But probably the hardest that I can remember as an adult of saying that I'm sorry is saying it to my dad. Saying something to my dad, and I just didn't want to talk about it. He was wanting this conversation, and I just didn't want to talk about it, so I just said, yes, I did it. Yes, yes, I did it. Knowing all along, I did not do it. Just flat out lied to him. And God wore me out. I mean, he just wore me out. Until I just had to go to my dad and said, Dad, I... Sunny day, isn't it? But I just had to go to my dad and I said, Dad, I, I don't know why I did it. I, I was wrong. Forgive me. As adults... Seeking forgiveness and asking for repentance, I believe, is hard. Maybe it's hard because we think that we have it all worked out and we're further down the road than we think we really are. and It's going to be okay. I mean, they, they, they know my heart even though I didn't do it or even though I did something. They, 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 they know. I don't have to say anything. We can just move on. but we really can't move on. I want us to look at a final conversation in our series on who's your one. A number of weeks ago, I asked you to write down one name of someone that you would be praying for, of someone that you would... um, desire to to talk with, you believe that they are far from God, maybe they know Him, but they're not living that, or maybe they don't know Him. And I asked you to, to, to write that person's name down, and for us to be praying through this time, through these numbers of weeks, to have those opportunities. Now, in my Connect group, I shared with them a few weeks ago, one of the names that I wrote down. And I said, hey, I've got to have this conversation this week. I haven't seen this guy in a number of weeks, but I've got to have this conversation. And two days ago, it happened. He was outside. And I was like, okay, he's outside. He's ready to talk. We're going to talk. Man, I really need to go somewhere. I really need to do, nope. He's outside. We're going to talk. And so he saw me looking at him, and he started walking. I was like, whoop, there it went. We're going to have this conversation. And we had the conversation. The conversation was about the grass. The conversation was about the company that came in and made holes in the grass. The conversation was not about the grass or the company that came in and made holes in the grass. The conversation was about Jesus. It was about Jesus. Because I wanted to know where my neighbor stood. I wanted to invite my neighbor to know him. I wanted to share with him about Jesus. My neighbor still doesn't know Jesus, but he knows about him. 
It's not our job to make sure our neighbors, our family, our friends, our co-workers know Jesus. That's Jesus' job. Our job is to share. And in this conversation that we're going to look at in John's Gospel, we see someone who knows Jesus, but someone who messed up. They messed up royally. And Jesus brings them back just as He would bring you and me back. Look in John's Gospel, John chapter 21. And I want to read for us verse 15 down through verse 23. Verse 15 down through verse 23. One of my favorite individuals in the New Testament is Peter. Because I resonate with him, open my mouth and insert my foot like he does sometimes. John chapter 21 verse 15 states this, When they, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, God, th- this conversation, this conversation is about your follower trusting you, your follower walking with you, your follower. Obeying you. Father, I pray that as we walk through it over the next few moments, God, you would speak. Lord, this body needs you to speak. Father, this, this preacher needs you to speak to me. God, would you... Um, Show us our sin. And God, I know, I, I, I proclaim it just as David did. Against you and you alone have I sinned, have we sinned, because it is against you and your ways 
your desire for those attitudes, for those spoken words, for those thoughts and those actions to come about or to not come about. And it is against you that we sin. Father, thank you for this example in front of us today. May we glean from it. May we learn from it. May we apply it. Ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Look at this conversation. And, and to understand the conversation, um, we're going to have to, to go back and, and look at a couple of other conversations that, that Jesus had with Peter to, to understand what is going on in this conversation. But the first truth or the first fact of this conversation um, that we are going to look at this morning is this, that this conversation has to take place for restoration to occur. This conversation that Jesus is having with Peter has to take place for Peter to be restored back to the the. Not, not the relationship, but back to the fellowship that he had with Jesus before Jesus died. Because before Jesus died, Peter and Jesus had a conversation. And in that conversation, Peter was braggadocious. He, he was like, he was boasting. Jesus was stating in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 14, you can turn back over to uh, Mark chapter 14, you can see the verses on the screen as well, believe that in Mark chapter 14, let me flip over here, Mark chapter 14 verse 26 says, when they had sung a hymn, they, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them in verse 27, you will all fall away. He, he's looking at his 12. He's looking at his 11. Judas is already gone, but he's looking at his 11, and he's saying, hey, you all are going to fall away. You're about to scatter. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they, even though they, those little peons of ten, will fall away, not me. I love you more than they do. And Jesus said to him, are you serious? Truly? Really? Let me tell you something, Peter. Before the rooster crows at the break of dawn in the morning, you will deny me three times. Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. They all said the same. 
Fast forward a few hours. Jesus is betrayed in the garden. Jesus is escorted out. Jesus finds himself in the mockery of the courts of the Jewish day. Back and forth, back and forth, five of them all throughout the night. And as that is taking place, there is a moment There's a moment as Jesus is going back and forth that Peter finds himself at the fire and a little servant girl comes up to him and she says, hey, you, you're one of his followers. And he said, no, I'm not. Another moment comes up. Someone else comes and says, you too, or you, you were one of those followers of his. And he says, blankety blank, I wasn't. And the third person comes up and Mark records that he brought down a curse it would be very similar to you or me saying in our sentences GD this or that bringing that Jesus be cursed if I'm one of his. And as Jesus is in the midst of the trials, possibly from the verbiage of trials or the slapping, eyes connect between Jesus and Peter. Oh, the feeling that Peter must have had. Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is crucified. Three days he is in the tomb. He comes back to life. And as he comes back to life, he meets them in Galilee. We don't have time to go back to the beginning of this chapter, but what an awesome setting. The disciples have decided to go back and fish for fish, Simon Peter being the leader. They fish all night. They don't catch a thing. They're coming back to the shore, about 100 yards off, John states. They're about 100 yards off from the shore, and somebody sees a, an individual with a fire, and the individual says, hey, have you caught anything? Do you know how downcast and dejected one must be to fish all night long and catch absolutely nothing yet still fish I'm not that type of fisherman hey why don't you try it on the right side of the boat they haul 153 in the net John says, hey, Peter, that, that's the Lord. Peter puts his coat on, jumps in the water, and makes it to land. They couldn't bring in the 153 fish with Peter in the boat, and he just leaves them and says, I don't care about the fish. I'm going to see Jesus. And this conversation comes up. As I said, I don't have time, but let me just raise a couple of questions just to give you all something to think about this week, okay? Okay. Just think about this. 
The creator of the fish, I don't have time to preach this, but the creator of the fish said, hey, all of you fish in the Sea of the Galilee, in the Sea of Galilee, don't get on the left side of the boat. You stay on the right side of the boat all night long. So they throw their nets over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and they bring up water. The creator of the fish didn't throw a net in. It doesn't state that he threw a net in. Yet when Peter gets there, there's fish on the fire. Hey, fish, I created you, so why don't you just come here and let's get on the fire. And the fish did it. All right, let's get to where I'm preaching. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This conversation had to happen if Peter was going to be restored. Simon, do do you love me more than these? How boastful and prideful he was just a few days before. And now Jesus asked him to his face, do you love me more than these? And Simon says, Lord, you you know that I love you. Simon, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. Yes, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, a third time he asked, Do you love me? Peter grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus didn't ask about Peter's doctrine. Jesus doesn't ask about your doctrine or my doctrine. Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Jesus didn't ask Peter, hey, do you repent of your sin? Although that's what this conversation is bringing about in Peter. Jesus didn't ask, hey, are you keeping my commandments? Because Jesus knows that if you and I love him, we will do what he commands. But because you and I are not doing what he commands, guess what? He also knows that you and I don't love him at that moment. Jesus did not ask about his doctrine. He didn't ask about his if he was asking to repent of his sin. He didn't ask all these things. He did not ask about Peter's position amongst the disciples. 
He did not ask about his performance on all the things that he was doing or why he was doing what he was doing. Like, why did you leave what I told you to do and go back fishing? Jesus didn't ask that. He asked the question, do you love me? Three times Peter denied him. Three times Jesus asked him if he loved him. Peter denied him sitting right in front of a fire. Jesus brings him to a fire to ask him if he loves him. Peter bragged about him loving him more than everybody else. And Jesus asked him, hey, do you love me more than these? You and I can try to wiggle out of responsibility, of repentance. You you and I can do that, but Jesus will not let us move from that spot until we come clean. Peter, do you love me? This conversation had to happen for restoration to come about in Peter's life. This conviction that you may be feeling right at this moment has to happen for you and for me to have wholeness again. Second truth or second fact of this conversation, not only did it have to happen for restoration to come, uh, a second fact is this, that this conversation takes the emotional wind out of the individual. Talk about sweating. It's like a cold sweat. You know you have to do it. You know you're supposed to do it. You know you don't want to go there. Man, I was such an idiot. Why did I say that in the first place? Man, oh, just beat yourself up. Oh, I'm just, oh, it's just terrible. Why did I do that? I don't want to talk to them. I hope they just don't ever come around again. Man, can I move to like Nova Scotia? Yeah, you can. But let me tell you, you'll feel just as bad in Nova Scotia as you would in Hernando. Actually feel worse because you'll have to travel the whole way back just to talk to the person that you know you're supposed to talk to. This conversation took the emotional wind out of Peter. It actually does more than that. The conversation brings repentance into view. Repentance brings restoration, as we'll see in just a moment in our third fact. But, but for repentance to happen, you and I must die. One must die to their way of thinking. One must die to their way of acting, their way of doing, their way of bringing about attitudes, their way of posturing, their way of living. One must die. The question for us this morning is this. Are you and I ready for the conversation? Jesus is ready to have that conversation with you this morning. Are we ready to come to the fire? Jesus is ready to have that conversation, not just to bring you low but to bring about a death in you and to bring about a death in me, but also to bring about a final truth 
Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. The third fact or truth about this conversation is that this conversation brings fellowship back and strengthens the relationship. There was a disconnect. Because of the sin that was in Peter, there was a disconnect. Peter knew what he was supposed to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Peter knew what he was supposed to do. Hey, I'm supposed to be a fisher of men because Jesus, three and a half years earlier, called me to be a fisher of men. But because there was a broken fellowship between Peter and Jesus, he said, you know what? Yep, forget it. I'm going to the Sea of Galilee and I'm going to fish. And maybe that's the attitude that you and I have today. I know what we're supposed to be about. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but who cares? I don't have fellowship. There's not just this warm, fuzzy feeling in my relationship with my Savior at this moment, so I'm going to do whatever I want to do. The conversation brings fellowship back, and it strengthens the relationship. Peter, I have a job for you to do. I want you to remember the first time that you were here. Sitting there at that fire. I want you to remember the first time that you were here. Where were they? They were in Peter's hometown. Where were they? They were at the spot where one afternoon Jesus is walking down the path and the the waves are just lapping up and Peter and his brother are mending their nets. And Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Peter, I have a job for you to do. Remember what I told you at the very beginning when we met. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. The words there mean this, that, that he uses for feed or to take care of. It's a, a Greek word, poimeno. P-O-I-M-A-I-N-O. Poimeno. It's a word that means shepherd. What's so intriguing, the uh, commentator states about this word, what's so intriguing about shepherds is that shepherds were on the one hand, they were extraordinary. They, they were extraordinarily tender. They were extraordinarily patient with the little sheep. But at the same time, they were absolutely in charge and they would not allow any of their sheep to go in a direction opposite, contrary to where they wanted them to go. Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, Tend to my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Forget about fishing, Peter. Become a shepherd. At this moment in the conversation, the others are coming around. 
The others are hearing this. The others are coming up to the fire. And as John remembers back, he states this in the verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and another will carry you where you do not want to go. John's commentary is verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The church father Tertullian states this about Peter's death. Peter died under the emperor Nero mid to late 60s AD, he died by crucifixion. And that is the statement that Jesus was prophesying that they would carry him. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands. That was a picture of crucifixion in that culture and in that society. They understood that. And another will dress you and will carry you where you don't want to go. And the church father Tertullian states, it's exactly what happened to Peter, but as he was being led to be crucified, he begged with those that were crucifying him, I don't deserve to die the way my master died. Would you please turn me upside down? And they turned him upside down and they crucified him. For you and for me, what do we glean? What do we understand? What, what can we apply from this conversation for life today? For every single one of us, he has a task and a job in front of. And some of us, some of us, got our hands on the plow and we're plowing. Some of us have our hands on the plow, but man, we're daydreaming and that road looks like this right here. Some of us know that our hands are supposed to be on the plow, but we've decided, eh, I think I like fishing. Or I think I like you fill in the blank. And when that happens, guess what? You and I find ourselves just like Peter. We find ourselves just like Peter. Why? Because the fellowship of our relationship has been paused. And until we come back, until we recognize, until we say, okay, Lord, I am sorry, I repent of that. And have conversations like this one. That fellowship cannot be rekindled and that relationship cannot be strengthened. But because of this conversation, this conversation in John chapter 21, Fellowship was rekindled. Because of this conversation in John chapter 21, the relationship was strengthened. And you and I can read from that moment forward, Peter didn't go back to casting nets in the Sea of Galilee. From that moment forward, Peter stood and proclaimed 
hey, this guy right here is king of kings. This guy right here, Lord of lords. This guy right here, savior, master, Lord, God. And I don't care who's watching. I don't care what you do. Because there was fellowship. The relationship was strengthened. And he was willing to obey and do whatever Jesus asked him to do. Before some of us can have conversations with those co-workers, those family members, those friends and neighbors, we need to have a conversation with our master. He wants to draw you to the fire. Not to bring you low, but to bring a death to the way that you and I have been acting, to a death to the way that you and I have been talking, to a death to the way that you and I have been living outside of Him. It's called sin. It's not a secret. I may not know about your sin, but guess what? Your sin is not a secret. There's only one person that matters, and you can't keep it from Him. You don't know all my sin. It's not a secret. He knows. And he is calling us into this conversation so that we might be reminded of the relationship that we have with him. Maybe he's calling it right now to you. We're about to have a time of response and more than... You coming and talking with me more than you coming down here to what we kind of call the altar. Maybe, maybe you just need to have the conversation right there with him. Say, okay, Father, I, yep, I know I said that. Yep, I know I didn't say that. I know I've done that. I died of that. And see that fellowship be restored. And that relationship be strengthened. Heavenly Father, as adults, for me, I believe for us, God, as adults, it's often overlooked that we are to come and ask forgiveness. As adults, it's easy for us to just move on past that in our minds. God, may you show me, show us that the relationship, yes, it's there, but but the fellowship stops. And we can't move forward with you if there is this thing called sin in us. God, we've got to come clean. Father, I pray that during this time that that I've been standing and preaching, looking at John's gospel, God, I, I pray that at this time, Lord, you have been speaking. I know that you have. God, would we, Lord, would we obey? We're going to sing. 
you join in if you would like, but if God wants you to have that conversation, you stay right where you are and you have that conversation. Whatever he's asking you to do, you do. You have been listening to the latest message from Riverbend Church. We hope you enjoyed it. Live simple.